Message from Starfleet Command, top priority. You are listening to the Trek Ranks Podcast, a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. This is episode 132, featuring the top five Discovery Season 4 moments. Welcome, Star Trek fans. I'm Jim Morehouse. I'm the host of the Trek Race Podcast, and tonight we're traveling through the galactic barrier and leaving the Milky Way behind as we make first contact with Species 10C and the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. It's the top five Discovery Season 4 moments. Really interesting, unique season of Trek in the time of COVID, production-wise, we'll see if that comes up much. We've got two awesome guests. First up, Bill Mann, returning for his 10th overall appearance. You're in the 10-time club now, Bill, from Trek Live. Bill Mann. It's an honor to be back. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about Discovery Season 4, which I love. Thrilled to be here. Can't wait to dive in. All right, and our second guest, making her fifth appearance, from my favorite, the Wisconsin Expanse. It's Abby Summer of First Flight Pod. Abby Summer. Thank you for having me on as always. I can't wait to discuss this season. It's been a wonderful one. Yeah, it has been super, super unique. All right, let's get started now with our quick Trek Ranks recalibration. What are you recalibrating? Everything. Um, it's, it's a sweeping, uh, a recalibration of all systems. As regular listeners will know by now, General Order number one of the Trek Race Charters, and we love Trek and love to rank Trek via some deep dive topics just to get the conversation started. And remember, it's not about the ranks. That's just our excuse to talk about Star Trek. And as the Vulcan Master likes to remind us each week, infinite diversity. In infinite combinations. No wrong answers. It's not about being right or definitive in any way. It's just about sharing the things we love about Trek, and we love it all. From TOS to TNG, Straight to the Enterprise, Calvin Timeline, Discovery Short Treks, Picard, Lower Decks. What I'm missing? Prodigy, soon to be Strange <laughs> New Worlds. All right. It's all fair game here on the Trek Ranks Podcast. Black Alert. Black Alert. And a reminder that this episode of Trek Ranks is current through 836 episodes of Star Trek, which currently translates, obviously, through the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. And the first three episodes of Picard, we're getting into the real weeds, but I don't think we're going to talk about that tonight, even though it's awesome. Okay. I've boosted power to the communications bandwidth. We appreciate that, Mr. Kim. And you can find Trek Ranks on Subspace at trekranks.com. You can contact me directly on Twitter at Trek Ranks or at Enterprise Extra. And you can also call and leave us a message with your own picks at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. All right, Bill and Abby, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you on Subspace. Bill. You can find me on Twitter at trekfan43887. Uh, and you'll find me on YouTube on the Trek Live show. Uh, we're on a temporary hiatus. Uh, my partner, Dan, uh, just had his uh, first baby, um, Mabel. Uh, so taking a little bit of a break so that that can settle in and he can adjust to the new normal. Uh, but we'll be back shortly. Fantastic. You can hear Bill and Dan on uh, Kelvin moments, right? Kelvin? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, it was Kelvin. Yeah, yeah Kelvin. Awesome. Yeah. That was, like, it was in the 30s, I think. That was a long time ago. Way back. We need some more Kelvin moments. Okay. Uh, Abby, how about you? 
Best place to find me personally is on Twitter. That's Abby M. Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R. And you can find First Flight Pod, which is my podcast that I do with my fabulous co-host, Melanie. We're rewatching Enterprise and dissecting every episode. We're almost done with season one. And you can find us on Twitter at First Flight Pod, or we're also on all the other socials that way. And you can get us on the uh, Tricorder Transmissions Network, just like this fabulous show. Okay, let's activate our level one diagnostic to get into this topic. Run a level one diagnostic series. Come. Okay, as we do for all the topics where we break down uh, season recaps, the diagnostic cycle, we, we do our Trek Ranks Matrix. So we don't just do five straight episodes or, or random moments. We have uh, specific categories for, for each round. So round five, we're each going to pick our favorite production design element. It could be anything like favorite ship or prop or costume, anything. Round four is the top creative or actor or somebody on the production side. And round three is the double rounds, our complete wild card rounds, which wide open. Round two is your favorite character. So anybody you want to look at in terms of uh, anything that makes sense to you. And round one is clear. It is what we do on Trek Ranks. It's your favorite episode of the season. Okay. we'll ha- And then we'll have some outlying picks, of course, in our secondary system. All right. Let's get into our prime directives. But what you're proposing is exactly the kind of tampering the prime directive prohibits. Bill, let's start with you. How did you define your prime directive and break down your picks? Like I usually do when I'm... When I'm- lucky enough to be on Trek ranks. It's, it's a lot of gut instinct, especially in a situation like this, where it's so kind of raw. Uh, we're recording this very shortly after the finale uh, dropped. Uh, so it's, it's very, uh, it's all very new uh, still. So I, I kind of, I, I did this once before uh, I, on um, for discovery season one. And I, I had the same approach. Uh, I just looked at the, the, the matrix of, of the different categories and, pretty much trusted my gut instinct as a, as like a raw instant reaction to uh, the season, uh, you know, after it's wrapped up. Love that. I, I like to think that re- for me, recency bias is not really a thing. I'm, I think I'm pretty good at separating that, but at the same time, I know that it's a real, it's a real factor. So yeah, it's, I struggle it's with it at times. It's, I definitely well, there find are, there are times I look back at my season three picks and saw one. I was like, really? Really, Jim? That doesn't. I don't think I would pick that today. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though. Okay, Abby, how about you? Well, I kind of did a blend of that because I I feel the gut instinct usually is where I end up after all my Trek rank lists anyway. But for this one, I actually was lucky enough to have been able to do an entire season rewatch very, very recently and leading right up into me watching the finale. So I, I surprised myself with how I changed some of my answers. And I really hope you guys pick some different things in me because my secondary systems is huge because I did that and changed some of my answers. And I think it was interesting for me this time to make sure that I went back and watched the whole season and looked at the entire arc and really thought about it that way because it it changed how I thought about some things and I surprised myself. So I think from now on, that's what I'm going to try to do if I have the time. That is great. I mean, getting a rewatch in is so helpful. I didn't, I rewatched the first half of the season, but I didn't get to rewatch the full second half uh, right before we recorded. So um, yeah, I'm the same. This mostly just pretty straightforward gut feeling with brainstorming. What are my favorite elements? Those are one of the ones I want to talk about. Although for these episodes, I also make sure I look back 
at previous seasons and just make sure I'm not completely repeating myself, like picking the score every time or something. So, um, like I've picked Michael Barnum twice as my favorite character. So I'm not going to do that again. Just try to break it up a little bit that way. Okay, let's do this. First, Kadekaton introduce us to the new order of things. It'll be alphas like us that determine the future of this quadrant. That will be the new order of things. Thank you, First Kadekaton. As always, a quick reminder on how we're going to go through the order of things. Everyone will start first with their five-word summary and a hashtag to tease their pick. Then we'll each reveal our top five Discovery Season 4 moments and we'll highlight one episode that, that helps... Uh, Emphasize that pick. And then at the end, we'll ask everyone for a few secondary system selections for the picks that just missed our list. And as always, if we have any duplicate picks, make sure you listen for the Defiant Torpedoes. Okay, Bill, let's kick it off with you. What's your number five pick, your top five discovery season four moments, production design element? So my five words in a hashtag are old school meets new school, hashtag bursts of color. It's the new uniforms. Uh, when I, the first thing that popped into my mind here was the breath of fresh air, you know, jolt of color that really gets injected into every scene, really. The, the, they spend a lot of time on the bridge in season four, uh, I feel like. Uh, yes. a, lot, a lot of episodes where they're, they're I, you know, I think of a whole bunch of them <laughs> where it's, it's Burnham in the captain's chair on the bridge with the, with the bridge crew trying to solve a problem. And um, those scenes are so much more visually just exciting to me because of the more traditional, you know, old school Star Trek color pal. That hit home for me right away with Kobayashi Maru, which is the episode I'm going to pick because obviously it's the first time that we see them. Uh, And uh, that hit home for me uh, right right out of the gate with the season. I I think uh, seeing in in that first trailer that they, that they changed up the the new uniforms that they teased at the end of season three with the gray and one little row of, of color uh, that they had and, and and made the color more primary on the uniform Uh, that I just feel like that, that added a lot of uh, flair to the the visual language of the show. And uh, I love the old uniforms. Uh, I, I love the, the um, connective tissue back to Enterprise that the old dark blue with the outlines of, you know, uh, department colors. I, you know, I love the the, the kind of callback to um, NX era that brought. But this this feels Star Trek in yeah. all caps and bold. Uh, I love this thing. I, I love that you mentioned the, the old uniforms and the tie-in to uh, Enterprise and then these and the obvious tie-in to TOS slash... Uh, yeah. Next generation. The most interesting thing to me about this, and I honestly, I thought about it almost all season long because I really love those gray one splash of color stripe mm-hmm. uniforms at the end of season three. And I was like, oh, these are great. I'm looking forward to seeing these. And then when they changed it up, it was so, it was just so interesting to me the, the reason that they put those out pretty quickly. And then they realized as they were developing season four that the gray just blends too much into the background inside the ship and the walls and things. And I was like, oh yeah, uh, that's clear. So this is funny to me, that reasoning, I I just couldn't get out of my head. Every time I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah, 
big colorful uniforms now because they had to get rid of the gray. It's like, <laughs> well, you know what I liked though is that throughout the season you saw some of those uniforms still pop up here and there. Yeah. Like when they're yes. wandering around Federation HQ, yeah, HQ you see them yeah. in the background, you see some of the more secondary characters wearing them. And that's one of the things I liked about the uniforms this time is that you could see the transition and you could see how many variations there were. I mean, it's not just three or four colors. You've got the white with the medical, you've got the black for more of the security. They really went all out on all the different types of yeah. uniforms. And I think that really helped. And for a show when people are complaining, there's so many characters to keep track of having more distinctive uniforms, yeah. I think really helps the more casual viewer to, to kind of differentiate between people. And that's really neat. And I like that they are transitioning the uniforms because you know what, not everybody's going to go to their replicator that night and make a whole bunch of new uniforms. Yeah, so, and I think it's, I think it's cool to see that, that change. Wait, do people complain about too many characters to keep track of on Discovery? Oh, yeah. Is that one of the things? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> all right, I, I will say this. I am a huge fan of new uniforms. I don't I mean, and that we have a lot of that right now in Trek. Like, sure do. There's like yeah. five different shows, and every season they change uniforms, and it's awesome. I love it. Anybody oh. with tailoring <laughs> skills has a job for the next exactly. few years. Exactly. Okay, Abby, how about you? What's your production design element? All right. Well, this could possibly be the most on-brand pick I have ever picked on Trek Ranks, and anybody who pays any attention to me is not going to be surprised. And it's in a uh, similar vein of yours, Bill. So I have my five words should win all the awards. My hashtag is a personal favorite, Star Trek Knitwear, and my episode is But to Connect, and it's the costumes in general in season yes. four. Yeah, yeah. I Love Star Trek costuming with a passion. I am not a sewer, but I am an appreciative person of people with sewing and costuming and fabric talents because I have none. And the costumes this year, let me just list a few that as soon as I say them, they'll yes. pop into your head. Yes. Everything that Tarina wears is absolute perfection. And I would pay stupid amounts of money for her closet. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Saru's outfit on Kaminar when he's speaking to the council. Great. Anything right. you see from somebody who's on Quajan or from Quajan when they're wearing their traditional garb with all the little like metallic kind of circle squares and the layers and the colors, every suit that President Rillick wears, the new EV suits, books shirts, which if you pay attention are all, you know, kind of grays and blacks and, and those kind of muted colors, but the detailing and the knitwear is amazing. And you have to say the very best that one is when you have that giant collection, the assembly of delegates in, but to connect and you see hundreds of different species in costumes and every single one is different and every single one is detailed and every single one you can tell has care and effort and love put into it. I mean, there's a behind the scenes look at this on the Paramount Plus YouTube channel and it's called An Alien Assembly and it goes deep into it and it talks to Gersha Phillips, who's you know the lead costume designer about how she does it. And it's fascinating. I mean, some are purely out of her imagination. Some are found and altered. Some are part costume, part clothes. Some are meshed together. Some are distressed. It's incredible. But if this doesn't win Every single costuming award that is possible for this season, it's a crying shame because this was a masterpiece of costuming and it deserves every kudos we can heap on it. 
Uh, I'm glad you called out. I was just about to say this is the Gersha Phillips round, and I, I love that your guys' picks are similar but completely different too. Because yep. the costumes, oh my lord! I mean, Tarina alone, and that oh. Saru one. That Saru one is is unbelievable. And even, like you said, even the casual wear, like yes, look and target, yeah. it, it's it is. It's never a, just a t-shirt. It's so good. It yeah. really is. It's it's one of the most impressive things they've done. Uh, Bill. Uh, just sign me up for the Gersha Phillips for an Emmy. Uh, yeah, bandwagon for sure. I'm I'm all for it. I think she's she's been a total home run uh, yeah. member of the, the the behind the scenes team uh, on on this new uh, you know era of Star Trek for sure. Yeah. Uh, from back in the beginning, the, in the first season. But I totally agree with the Abby. I think this season especially. Uh, it's it's just been it's so diverse uh, with with so many characters and I think having first of all obviously having it take place so far into the future where you kind of have to you know at least think about kind of scrapping the old and rethinking everything and bringing new ideas to you know to to, to old concepts um, but having having such a diverse um, palette of characters from from all these different species you know Navarre and you know, the Federation president being a uh, of, of you know, mixed heritage and, uh, you know, having, having so many things to, to do and, and to make all those characters distinctive and make sense, uh, is, is quite an achievement and definitely one of the best elements of the season. Couldn't agree more. I'm trying to remember, I think she came on mid first season and her first big thing was season two uniforms, but I, I think that's right. And I'm wondering, I wonder if she's doing strange new world. I have no idea. So, We'll find I can out. only hope because she, anything that woman puts out is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully she's overseeing it all. And okay. it seems like she just has so much fun doing it. Like you uh, can tell agreed. she's enjoying it every time you hear her talk. And that is what you want is everything made with love. And you can see it in the work. I love it. Okay. Let's go to my round five pick production design elements. I'm going big on mine. Five words and a hashtag DMA plus hydrocarbon for terror. Hashtag terror, love, sadness, curiosity, peacefulness. It is the creature design for species 10C straight out of the bag here. I incredible. I mean, really, it's funny to me that the whole season, everybody kept saying, well, man, I really hope they're building up this species 10C. I really hope it's weird and different and not just kind of the same old kind of humanoid alien and man did they hit a complete home run on not only the species design and the look and, and what it looked like but just the whole process for the the culture around the species and how they were communicated with and so i did not pick coming home which features the actual alien design and then seeing the species but i chose species 10c the the penultimate episode I just really love the setup for this with the nebula, the lights, the, the way they frame the discussion with the emotional hydrocarbons and, and the mystery of it. And just I just thought the whole thing was just an absolute home run. Uh, Jason Zimmerman's visual effects team and Neville Page on the creature design. Just uh, really, really good. Uh, Bill, what's your take on Species 10C and that creature design? It, it, I almost went there uh, for, for this yeah. uh, Jason Zimmerman specifically for the visual effects, but specifically in mind the the, the species tensity because I couldn't agree with you more. So much of the season is this sort of slow walk toward that moment in the species tensity when we make contact and and try to 
uncrack that code on how to how to make first contact with something so different. So the delivering of that promise and, and, and capitalizing on the mystery of it all and building so long to that that reveal was was kind of, in my mind, core to this season being successful. And uh, the fact that they did it and that they achieved it and they really did make, you know, to me, like the reason this season works for me in a nutshell is, you know, what does it say on the box for what Star Trek is? Strange new worlds and new civilizations yeah. like that. That's what it's all about. And that's right. what the season is all about. And to me, and it, and it does it in a fresh way and in a way that kind of only 2022 television, Star Trek Discovery and other new shows can can do. It, it's it's taking the, the old and, you know, making it new and exciting and, you know, using all of the tools of modern production to make it happen. And uh, that's, I think, what you're summing up beautifully with uh, kind of highlighting that as a choice. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and also, Stranger World Installation and then just the diversity, infinite diversity. Yeah. Uh, just really, really strong. Abby, how about you? Well, I have to say, one of the first things that came to mind when I realized they were actually going to go this far was, oh my goodness, how are people going to cosplay this one? Because <laughs> you know somebody is, and I have no, no, no idea. Not. Really? Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> oh, maybe the oh, lights. yes, they oh. are. Yeah, I love it. Well, and I, I don't know how they do it, but somebody's going to do it, and whoever thinks of it deserves so many gold stars because, Wow. And I love really alien aliens, like in all of my sci-fi. That's one of my my favorite things is when they really are so different. And I am glad that they waited to do this in Star Trek in this huge way until they yeah. could make it look the way it deserved to look. Because yeah. had we done this, you know, back in a different era, it would have been just as cool in a way, but it would have all, it wouldn't have aged as well. And I, I see this as, as aging well, because we have the capability to make it look so real. And they have that awesome VR wall that they're using in this season so that it feels like it has more depth and it has more realness. And it's the aliens in the environment that you would think that an alien this different than us would actually be. And that's really neat too, that they didn't just think of the alien. They thought of the place that the alien was and you believed it. Yeah. yeah good stuff. I mean, it's the whole package. It's not for me. It's not just the creature design. It's the whole package. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's go to round four, Bill, who is your creative or behind the scenes person, actor, whatever. So I'm going to go with um, my five words and a hashtag are classic Star Trek principal executed hashtag antagonist, not villain. Uh, and that's uh, Sean Doyle playing uh, Tarka. Awesome. And I'm, I'm going to highlight uh, the Galactic Barrier as the as the episode to, to kind of hone in on this. When I think, again, kind of thinking back to like the sort of core principles of what you know, Star Trek was in the original series, I, I always go back to you know, these episodes would often feature a, a, a not just a bad guy who's who's out to do bad things because they're bad. Uh, you know, it's it's there's there's more complicated motivations it's 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 a lack of understanding there's 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 more to it than it's just a bad dude uh it's it's you know and and the diving into that backstory in the galactic barrier with oros and uh, the sort of poignancy of somebody losing their only friend and and the damage that that does to a person um and and the way that it drives Tarka into these bad decisions i think is what is another element that helps make this season a success. Uh, you know, I'm increasingly uninterested in just a villain, uh, especially in my Star Trek. And, and, and the, that's 
driven by going back and watching the original series over and over again and, and finding that more and more true every time I, I, you know, look at those episodes again. And uh, I, I love it when Star Trek continues to kind of live up to that challenge and, and to, to resist the urge to, you know, have, have the adversary be more complicated than, uh, you know, just a mustache twirling um, person who's, who's constructed to be as challenging as possible, but, you know, makes sense and, and, and has, has a motivation that feels true and right and righteous to, to them uh, at the very least. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, lack of communication, lack of connection needing to be overcome to get to an understanding. And um, I think that's true with, with, with Tarka for, um, especially in episodes like the Galactic Barrier. I'm impressed that you picked this in this round because for me, and he was really close on my list for picking mm-hmm. Sean Doyle, because this is about Sean Doyle and his performance yes. as much as it is about the character on the page. The character's yeah. construction, right. You know, different actors make different choices. Mm-hmm. This guy, what a game changer in terms of the choices he made. And you listen, I mean, there's always a chance it was a director or the creatives that, that guided him, but I don't, I just don't get that feeling. I get the feeling this guy read it on the page and said, this is what I'm going to do with this character. And he killed it. Just yeah. surprising at every corner, always a bad guy, but always something deeper, something, another layer in every single line. This guy delivered is one of the highlights of the season for me. I was blown away by this guy. Uh, so impressed. Sean Doyle. The only thing, well, I take that back. Obviously, I've recognized him from The Expanse. Um, and some people said those characters, they they thought they were similar. And I was like, there's nothing similar about those characters <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. The other guy was like sneaky and nefarious and underhanded. This guy was like straightforward, in your face. And uh, But I saw that he played this character in Big Love, which is a show I hadn't thought about in like 10 years. Oh, I went, yeah. And I went, oh, he's that guy from Big Love? Wow. I couldn't believe that. I just saw that like... Uh, yesterday when I was uh, doing research. So uh, I love this pick. Abby, what's your take? Yeah, he's a phenomenal actor. And I think one of the things that I appreciated about his acting choices the most throughout this is that you first get introduced to him. And I mean, he is so abrupt and so obviously prickly. And he has that, you know, well, I love me line, so I'm not going to blow us up in the very first episode. (laughs) And he yells at Saru. And you're just like, who is this guy? But then you see him over the course of the next episodes, slowly begin to become both more singularly focused and completely unraveling at the same time. And that is really hard to portray. And this is a man who has really good face acting. Now, Yes, he's got the voice and he's got the body. But if you look and you watch him, his reactions to other people are subtle but noticeable. And he's got like those eyebrows that can kind of just do all sorts of things. And you can tell what he's thinking and you can see that like barely controlled rage behind his words in a lot of the times where he's talking to people like he just doesn't understand how people don't understand. Mm -hmm. And that's a deliberate choice. And I really appreciate that. And he is a fantastic creative. And I've, I've enjoyed the little bits that I've heard of him talk about this character too. And I hope he does more because I'd like to hear more about his process. Yeah. I haven't seen much of that. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Sorry, Bill, go. No, I was just going to say, I, I totally want to make sure I'm highlighting that it, it, it it's a hundred percent to me. I, I give a lot of the credit to, to the performer uh, right, in, in this case, you know, yeah. it really is, you know, it, it, with a character like this and, and, 
I think because of the way that, you know, the Galactic Barrier, barrier the episode I, I kind of picked is episode 10 of the season. And I, yeah. I want to say it's like four or five featuring, you know, Sean Doyle playing Tarka. So it's, it's the slowly peeling back the layers of who this guy is. And uh, like Abby mentioned, you know, the, the way we first see him informs, you know, what we learn about him later. And it, it allows for that, you know, onion to get unpeeled in an interesting way. And to me, that's, that's a credit to the actor to, to allow that process to be credible for the changes that come later to make sense and feel like they're coming from the same person. You know, I, I just think one of the things that is going to stick with me the longest, I think, from this season are those scenes in the galactic barrier between Sean Doyle and the actor who plays Oro, who I don't remember, unfortunately, the, the, the name of that actor offhand, and I didn't write it down. Um, but th- those scenes really left a mark on me. They, they feel like, again, true to form for Star Trek, uh, the, the way that those two characters connect and how that evolves into the sort of challenge of the season in terms of who the antagonist is, like that there's, there's a human element in quotes, uh, human to, to what's driving that person. And that's, you know, that's the actor's job to, to deliver those, those, uh, wrinkles and textures, I think. And success. The actor who played Oros is, uh, and I didn't know it was him until after the fact, uh, he played, oh, I can't remember the character. The actor's name was like, uh, Osric Chow or something like that. I don't mm. know how to pronounce it, but he played this, this really, really lovely, beautiful character on supernatural who uh who died had this amazing death and i can't remember the character's name right now but anyway people are yelling at their <laughs> recording right now because he's really popular if you know that show anyway uh what's going to stick with me is abby's description of this performance we'll end it here was the focused unraveling oh my god yeah. that's exactly what this guy was for sure season. <laughs> so good okay let's go to abby's creative pick all right So my creative, my five words are world saver in all worlds, hashtag complex savior complex. And it's Wilson Cruz as Hugh Culber. And my episode I'm highlighting is the examples because this man is a gift to the universe, both as an actor and as a person. He is so well-spoken and he just oozes respect and empathy. And he has for decades since he first kind of burst on the scene. I watched him all the way back in my so-called life and he was the same back then as he is now. And that's been 30 years plus. And he is a proud LGBTQ plus member and activist. He's not afraid to speak truth to power. He fights injustice (laughs) and he does it in a way that makes you want to hang out with him at the same time. And hearing him speak on how chosen family and mental health in this show translates to our real world is powerful and moving every single time that you hear it. And he had some of the most powerful scenes in this season. And I'm going to be forever grateful for the way he played them and then discussed them in the real world after to try to really decrease the stigma of both mental health issues and of burnout, which is a huge thing these days. And his tweets make me feel better about the world. And I love that he is doing all that he can in character and out to use his platform to make the world a better place. And while he wasn't the star of this season, he was a thread that pulled through and was perfection. You, you can't summarize any better than that. No. Cruz, I mean, just Ricky is a game changing character in the history of any media. I mean, it's just a really, really... Uh, impactful character from my so-called life. I love this pick. I love Wilson Cruz fighting the power every day. 
just fantastic. Uh, Bill, what's your take? I couldn't agree more. Wilson Cruz is amazing. Uh, Dr. Colbert is, is like, I always say he's like empathy embodied in, in a person. Just, yeah. it's just unbelievable. Uh, member of the cast and kind of quietly steals every scene he's in. I feel like, you know, he, <laughs> when he gets things, when he has the heavy lifting to do in, in, you know, not in this season, but in those last couple of episodes of season three and Sukal and, uh, that hope is you part two and, oh, and yeah. forget me not in episodes of this season as well. There's that unbelievable scene in the examples between him and, uh, the Kovic, uh, that just rings so true. Like you said, Abby, it, it, it speaks so loudly and, and clearly about things that are, are so, you know, experienced and, and deeply felt in, in contemporary times. Uh, I love what you said about burnout. That is so that it's just, it's, it's, it's true. It's just so real. Uh, and I've, I've been impressed with him since day one. You know, if memory serves is one of my favorite episodes of all of Star Trek and certainly my favorite episode of discovery to this day. And a lot of that is, is driven by him. I think there, there, there are moments in that episode that Wilson Cruz just totally, um, transcends into like upper, upper tier, you know, Star Trek stuff. I, I just, I couldn't love him more. He's, I'm so happy that he's part of the show and is, is a, a highlight of the cast. Brilliant choice to kind of put him into that uh, counseling role this season. Yeah. And, you know, regardless of how impactful he is in, uh, in every scene, uh, COVID still has a two o'clock. So he's going <laughs> to, uh, he's going to take off. I think that, that was, was one of the few scenes <laughs> this season that I went back when I was done watching the episode and immediately rewatched that yeah. scene again, yeah, because so it was so good. And both of them. So good. Okay, let's close out round four, five words and a hashtag. Dawn of a new day, hashtag. <laughs> I realized the next line, I, I feel like I should be singing it, but I'm not going to. Don't know why there's no sun up in the sky. And it is Annabelle Wallace from uh, Azora from the episode Stormy Weather is My Choice. Really good classic Star Trek episode. All Like you said, it all takes place on the bridge. Inside anomaly, problem to solve, sciencing, time ticking down, narrow escape. I love all that. But this Zora story throughout the season and the choices they made to really dive into this character is my favorite thing about the season. Just her whole emotional emergence. And uh, this is the episode that started this. And it's it's crazy to me that they kind of made this a two-part Zora emergence tale, uh, combining this with But to Connect. And yeah, Annabelle Wallace, her voice acting just lifts this character to incredible levels. And she sings Stormy Weather in this uh, in this episode at the end. And just really, really powerful stuff across the board with the way Burnham asks her to or trusts her to bring everybody out of the pattern buffer, save the ship. The connections here to Calypso just make me so happy. I love it all. My my hashtag was that she tells uh, Gray in this episode that she chose the name Zora because it means a dawn or a new day in Earth, Baku, and Navarre. I just love this. And there's one other little piece of trivia that Lena Horne is very famous for singing Stormy Weather. She's the grandmother of Jenny Lamette, uh, one of mm. the main executive producers on the Discovery, which is really cool. Anyway, Annabelle Wallace, we are highlighting her after 
just an incredible emergence as a uh, fantastic character in Trek. Uh, Bill, what's your take? I, I definitely feel like one of the most successful uh, elements of this season is the the exploration of the Zora emergence. Uh, I'll certainly get into that in a bit from my own standpoint, but I, I she was on the short list for me. I had I had yeah. a few who I, I really came close to going with, and I'm glad you picked her because uh, that's that's again I think w- w- trying to think ahead like years to come. What are the sort of what are going to be some of the hallmarks of this season? And I think the Zora storyline is going to be something that stands out from this season as a, as a really important piece of the pie. And, and that's a lot of that's driven by her. I mean, it's a classic case of, you know, it's a, it's like Scarlett Johansson in, in her, it's like an unbelievable performance that you never see. It's, it's, it's yeah. a, just a voiceover. Uh, and she embodies so much complication and texture. And it's not just a, a computer voice. You know, it feels like there's, there's a lot more going on there. And that's the whole point that there, there's, there's more to it emerging uh, from, from that sphere data going back all the way to season two and Calypso even before that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love that you, that you, that you went there. Abby, what's your take on Annabelle Wallace as Dora? Well, I'm really glad that you picked this because it was one of my bazillions of secondary system picks that I was like, how can I fit this in? I can't fit this in. Somebody else will say it. So thank you. Um, This is one of my favorite parts of the season as well, because I think they really address the questions that would come up with having a sentient AI head on. And I appreciate that because, I mean, we all know and love Zora because we met her in Calypso before we met her in Discovery. So we know where she gets to. So we knew the whole time she's not evil probably. And we, we know she's got this, this deep empathy and, and emotion behind her, but that does have some really immediate big questions. And I appreciate that they let Stamets have those questions and the respectful way that things went back and forth and how Zora was willing to sacrifice herself for the good of the rest. That That is so Star Trek right there. You know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Here's a kill switch for me. Wow. That's, that's, that's big. And that, that was intense. And I, I agree with the stormy weather song singing. That was the perfect hashtag for this because every time I hear her do that, I get chills and it was so perfect in that moment. And I, I hope Zora is developing just as much every season after this, because it is such an interesting look. And like I said, they're doing it in a way that seems realistic in a fictional world so hopefully that will will guide us in the next few centuries when uh, yeah. we have inevitable ai i like that that's what star trek does mm-hmm. okay let's go to the double round oh, round three what do we got bill what's your wild card pick strange new worlds made tangible uh, hashtag star trek game changer and i'm going with the vr wall uh the, oh, yeah. the the ability to create strange new worlds in a way that feels new and exciting and different. And uh, I would choose uh, Rosetta as the episode to kind of highlight it. I think that's the episode where it maybe works best uh, in this first season. You know, it's, they definitely, uh, as far as I know, I want to say it was like five or six of the episodes you use it. Uh, You know, Kobayashi Maru uh, in the, in the, the new shuttle bay, I think is like that set, right? You you Uh, think it's only five or six. I feel like it's almost all. uh, I don't know. I mean, Interesting. I, I don't know. Choose to live. I think they use it in the in the the chamber of the the sleeper ship. 
For sure, they use it there. No, yeah, I think yeah. it's more because they do it in sure. examples. For sure, it's the last three, and it's yeah. examples. I think it's almost every episode, but whatever. Who knows? But yeah, it's awesome. Made, but it is awesome. And <laughs> the fact going, that we can't tell says that it's working. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. True. Right. True. True. Yeah. I, I just I feel like the the I was I was super impressed with it all the way back to the beginning. But Rosetta, when they beam down to that planet, and, and it's so barren and and big and epic and different it just feels different and it, it feels exciting in a way that you know been kind of conditioned to to know and love like the the classic planet hell star trek you know soundstage planetscapes and then whether it's uh um vasquez rocks or the, the the sort of quarry that they often use for discovery sort of comfortable you know exterior or interior planet sets this is this just feels so like like I said, a game changer. And, and there, there's so many exciting possibilities to really deliver exciting, strange new worlds. And I, I, it's a big success. And I know I understand they're using it on strange new worlds as well. Uh, you know, obviously with discovery coming back for season five, I'm excited to see uh, what, what new things are made possible uh, by employing this new technology. It's very welcome addition to, to the Star Trek ensemble of production tools. I love this pick. I think Rosetta is really the perfect choice because not only is it the, the scenes on the planet, but inside the building. Yeah. I'm really impressive with this. We just are totally immersed. I love, I love this incredible technology. Abby, what's your take? Yeah. I think this is another one of those moments where we are letting people's imaginations get a little bit more boundless and that's yeah. great. And you can actually, put on screen what you are imagining in your head a little bit better. And like I said, we were arguing about how many times they used it because we can't tell. And yeah. that is so incredible. And, and they just have used it so well. And what a, it is a game changer. What an epic change to how we can have epic landscapes and epic sets. So bring it on. I can't wait to see what they do next. Spectacular technology. Abby, what's your double round pick? All right. So there was a bazillion things I wanted to put in here, but after my rewatch of the whole season, the one I settled on is my five words. I can scream with you. Hashtag best first officer. And it's Saru and Michael's friendship. And the episode that I picked is Anomaly. Because I I really like Saru. He's rapidly becoming one of my favorite Trek characters of all time. I really empathize with him and I love his growth. But what I found this season is that his relationship with Michael is so beautiful and so heartwarming and so honest. I mean, think about when he first comes back, that first hug that they have. You've had a hug like that with somebody, I'm hoping, where you are just like, oh, thank God, I can finally relax this little bit because this person is here. And he's the one who tells her to send book into the DMA and just then later to set aside the captain for the partner to talk through the kite surfing out. He's the one who's suggesting to her that Tilly goes after Javini. And then the smile she gives him when the salt tea comes from Tarina when they scream together and she can tell him only tell him this, the way that she talks him down on the planet in Rosetta, when he gets anxious, the way that she gives him context about Vulcan relationships, neither one of them would be the character that they are and the character that we know and love if they didn't have the other to play off of. And they scaffold each other so well. And this is not just 
a relationship of friends. This is not just a relationship of colleagues. This is a relationship of people who are both. And the fact that he was her first officer in this season was so needed and such good balance. I told Admiral Vance I would gladly return to the chair one day. This is not that time. Our mentor, Philippa Giorgio, knew the value of another set of trusted eyes, especially in times of crisis. I asked you to be those eyes for me when I became captain. Now, it would be my honor, and indeed my privilege, to do the same for you as your number one, if you'll have me. I loved seeing the two of them work through things together because they talk in that deep shorthand that only people who are really close to each other can. And that is a different kind of relationship than we have seen on screen in Trek in a while. And I really, really liked how that was highlighted through this whole thing. I mean, just the fact that when he first comes back and they agree on calling him Mr. Saru and the look between them, it says it all. Welcome back, Captain. Thank you, but please, call me Saru. How about Mr. Saru? That would be acceptable. Commander Bryce, open a ship wide channel. Hi, Captain. Then this really stood out to me as as a thread I hadn't noticed as much until I really mainlined the whole season. And then I couldn't stop thinking about how much of an impact it made. Uh, This is fantastic. So I'm sitting here listening to you thinking, yeah, this would be on my list for the entire uh, series. (laughs) Series? (laughs) Because this this is the show, right? This is Sonequa Martin-Green and Doug Jones and their friendship and their uh, ups and downs and where it is right now in season four just epic brilliant pick these the two actors are just so yes. so good together yeah you can't summarize any better than you did i love uh all these moments and it just the mr saru part ah so good oh. so good bill what's your take i love that you picked anomaly there's a moment in that i think it's when i haven't seen it in a few weeks uh but there's a moment when they're getting ready to – they're deciding whether or not to cut the tether on Book Ship. Yes. And there's like a little back and forth uh, between Burnham and Saru, and it gets to a point where they're just looking at each other. Yes. And it's like these two, Sonequa and Doc Jones. My gosh. Like how much they've like grown as a as sort of duo leading the show. Uh, and you think back to like Context is for Kings with them walking through the corridors with the blueberries and yep. the, the, the coolness and the coldness of that scene and just – it's it's amazing, and it it is. I mean, Saru has become for me like a just a hallmark Star Trek character. Like when you think of like the sort of um, you know outsider window into humanity kinds of characters that are offered throughout the different shows, he's 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 a classic already, and we're not done with, the, yeah. with exploring you know where he's going to go, and uh, that that relationship with Burnham is to me like that. That's the heart of the show, and it's it's that's made more and more clear when they have those little moments. It reminds me of in the original series moments between Kirk and Spock, where they kind of just look at each other, Kirk in the chair and Spock at his at the science station. And they can just exchange an entire 
like tactical planning session with a look <laughs> and like, yeah. what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? And they can, they can figure it out just by reading each other's body language and their facial expressions. And uh, Burnham and Saru are, are, are right there uh, with that, with that dynamic. Love it. So good. So good. I, I love that you picked Anomaly too, because that means with my pick, we have nine different episodes picked through our first <laughs> nine picks. That has never happened in any season recap show. So here's my double round pick, five words and a hashtag. Courier, by the way, huge theme. Also, it's very similar to your pick, Abby, but also very different. Courier versus courier, smartly played, hashtag. What to do, what to do, what to do. <laughs> My pick is Book V Burnham all season long, and my episode was uh, all in from uh, episode eight. I've played this guy before. He's good, but he has a tell. Ralph's is here on a good hand. Cool. Oh, what to do, what to do, what to do. And... Yeah, I was, I gotta admit, I was a little nervous going into the season when I heard that Book versus Burnham and there was going to be a separation there at some level. Because a lot of times when you see that in shows, it's just, and Bill, you'll appreciate this, it's built around idiot plots, right? Where it's just like, ah, if the two people just sit down and talk, then they won't have this animosity, they won't have this misunderstanding. And I was a little bit worried anytime relationships are built in a show and then broken apart it is almost always an idiot plot and man they just did it so smart here no cliches both sides really right in in their declarations and their choices and the and the reasons behind them well maybe not all books choices but the, but the reasoning behind them we understand just really well done smartly told and i chose all in which full disclosure is not my favorite episode of the season by a long shot. I, I wasn't a huge fan of some of the fighting scenes and, and even the poker game was a little too spot on for me in some places, but I mean, Sneaker Martin green and David and Jala and book and Burnham together in this episode was so fun. So yeah. lighthearted, really important critical time of the season to kind of get them back together one more time before they separate again. And, you know, have this the way it plays out uh, at the end of the season and just show the the true love between them, but also the, you know, the focus uh, in terms of their actions and knowing that they have to be true to themselves. Really, really good. Really, really good. This this pick is definitely about the whole season more than it is about this episode, for sure. Uh, Book versus Burnham. Bill, what's your take? Love it. I think it's a, another one of the hallmarks of the season, I think. And I totally agree with you. I, I was a little nervous at about the halfway point of the season when it seemed obvious that this was the way they were going to go uh, with with kind of splitting those two characters and having that be the the, the driving force of the drama. I, I, I was hopeful that they would find a way to make that dramatically interesting. And I think they did. I, you know, I thinking back to talking about the Tarka character, you know, the, the, the big difference between Book and Tarka is Tarka's one sort of tangible connection to like another person is gone with Oris. Like that's, that's what he's chasing. And at least with the thing that grounds book, even through these bad choices and kind of leaves him somewhat tethered to being pulled back is that he has Burnham still like he's not, he, he's lost his planet. He's lost a lot. And he's, he's, he's driven by grief and, and, and fear. And, but, but he still has that thing that Tarka is, is looking for. And I think the way that that yin and yangs, that relationship for the back half of the season is is um, 
something that's that was dramatically successful for, for me. Uh, so the, the exploration of the book and Burnham relationship through that lens is, is a definite is a definite hit in my book. Exactly what I'm talking about. Abby, what's your take? Well, I adore this relationship back and forth. And I think it's because they make it feel really real. This is not just a, a show relationship. These are people. And you get to see some of those yeah. people moments throughout there. Like when he tells her she gets the growly face with the little 11 between her eyes and their their quick hug in stormy weather in that corridor when they meet up and he's got grudge. And like that, those are just really real raw couple moments and they feel very intimate like their final conversation where they've got that humor and that love and there's so much going on but they've still got that that banter that you only have with someone who you care about so deeply those are real and that's what a real relationship is like you have big moments and small moments so that's what really really gets me with them is that they took the time to write that in and that they play it so well between the two actors that there is, there's real affection there. And I also like when you're talking about all in, this was not my favorite episode either, but what I liked about it was the fact that here they are, they're literally on opposite sides of the table at one point and they're still caring and respecting each other enough to find a way to work together and it's just instinctive to them to reach out and work together for as long as they possibly can. Yeah. And then still try one more time to like talk to each other and work this out yep. and really, really push. Cause they, they, they want to find a way to make this work. And they're just that little bit apart that they cannot cross that, that bridge. And that happens with people sometimes and it's heartbreaking, but they did it really well. And they did it over and over again, where they just keep trying because they cannot give up on this person and they shouldn't give up on this person. And that's, that's the strength in the relationship for me this season. And to highlight one thing you said there again, the, they did the big moments and the small moments with them yeah. this whole season. So, yeah. so good. Really Really, really impressed, especially going in being like, I don't want to see them not be together. This sucks. <laughs> okay, round two, Bill. Who is your top character? Uh, five words and a hashtag. The promotion delivered the goods. Hashtag Captain Burnham. Uh, and I totally get what you were saying at the beginning here, like kind of chalk. But to be honest, full disclosure, up through Thursday night, I, I, I had to reshuffle this, uh, having watching, uh, watching coming home, uh, sitting there watching it and um, the, the, the failed attempt to beam book back and Burnham's reaction oh. in front of the view screen. I sit there, watch it and go, I, I, I'm done. Like, there's no way I can't like, come on. Like, it's, Your heart's in pieces. It's in pieces. She's amazing. Sonequa Martin green is unbelievable uh, throughout the season, but it, especially in the finale, I think. And in those moments, that moment at the end, uh, it, that moment with book seemingly gone. And at the end uh, with uh, communicating with uh, species, Tennessee, that, that monologue she has are just, that's the, that's why she's the lead of the show. I mean, she's just amazing, and and it goes beyond that though. I mean, the to me, the real one A thing about this season is watching her establish herself as the captain and and getting to to see that sort of promise delivered. Her in the captain's chair uh, as the head of the show. From that standpoint, uh, she's been all along. But seeing her in that chair, kind of orchestrating these different scenes and 
episodes that I'm sure some people will will take or leave these these you know bridge based probably COVID limited you know production uh, kinds of kinds of stories episodes like Rubicon and Stormy Weather you know some of them I think are excellent maybe some maybe I, I love a little less but just just seeing her the way she orchestrates the bridge crew and um, the way those scenes play out with her in command is is sort of, to me like feeling like the show sort of coming into its own and. Uh, elevating to another level uh, of, of comfort and uh, delivering on the promise of where it was heading from day one. You know, the, the, when you consider the cold open of the Vulcan hello with Giorgio and Burnham walking around the, the desert planet talking about, you know, her being ready to be the captain and that that's the telegraphed is the place we're going all the way back to day one. Seeing that arc culminate this season is the thing for me. And like I said, the, some of the moments in, in the finale took away any ability I had to go with Tarka here or book or Saru. Like I, I could have gone in a couple different directions, but it's, it's Burnham. If I'm not force feeding a wrong answer or a different answer, not a wrong answer, but a different answer of course. than what's in my heart. Yeah. And did you pick so coming home? Was your choice. Coming home would be my choice. And before, if I was going to do this before Thursday, it would have been stormy weather uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the scene you kind of highlighted with, uh, when, when you were talking about stormy weather on yeah. the bridge with the, with the song stormy weather is, is, is a major highlight moment for me uh, of yeah. the season and would have been a high contender. But some of those moments in coming home are, are still no, coming home. Really good yeah. finale. I love it. 10 different episodes picked so far. <laughs> Abby, what's your take on Michael Burnham? I mean, come on, Michael Burnham. So such exactly. a great all time character. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? One of the things I liked that they did with her character as the captain this season is they gave her scenes with everybody and moments yeah. with everybody. I mean, even to the point where one of the ones that stuck out to me is when they're flying back from the, the 10 seas planet and Detmer is saying, captain, I want to apologize. And she cuts her off and says, yeah. finish that sentence and I'll bust you back down to Ensign. Like <laughs> that is, that is a perfect moment. And it doesn't take more than you know, what 30 seconds, but it is, a character moment. And she has a moment or more like that with pretty much everybody this yeah. season. And I really appreciated it has to have been deliberate that they showed her as a captain interacting with everybody and the different ways. But at the same time, she always shines through as having that deep love and care. She's the mama of this family and it really shows this season. Sure. And she is so human in this season where we've seen her coming from being more Vulcan like and then getting more embracing her emotions and now just living in them this season. And she has heartbreaking moments and heart filling moments. And yeah. Sonequa Martin green is impeccable because she can do so much with so little and so few words. And yeah, that scene where she thinks that book is gone. I, tears rolling down my face and then she pulled it together that's, which that's yeah. thing. oh yeah. my god i i think to myself we've all had to do that you've all been in a place where you're absolutely shattered and you have to pull it together and to watch that and to see those breaths and i've noticed that a character choice this season is she's either rubbing her hands together 
or she like does this thing where she kind of rubs her finger almost like she's going to cross her fingers, but then she doesn't. And you can tell that's like her nervous tick. That's the tick that Burnham has when she's <laughs> feeling something, her hands are going either on the chair or with each other or like <laughs> so behind good. her that's back. So <laughs> and it's so subtle, but once yeah. you notice it, you never unnotice it. And it's, it makes her more real. Yeah. Can I just say last night I watched uh, the last three in a row again. Uh, and I totally honed in on that moment with Detmer as well uh, in Rosetta coming back from the planet. And, yep. and to me, that moment on the bridge when, when she thinks she's lost book is she's doing what she told Detmer was OK. Like you can take yep. a minute, even even in a crisis, you can take a minute to not be together. And, yep. and, and that you see her putting it back together. It reminded me of kind of I go, tend to do this a lot, but it, it reminds me a lot of there's a moment at the end of Balance of Terror uh, when, when Kirk's consoling. The, the the young female officer who lost her husband, the newly married mm-hmm. husband, at, 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 throughout that battle with the Romulans, and he walk. He's you can see he's struggling, and he walks out of that room and goes down the corridor, and he slowly kind of puts it together, walking down the corridor, and is back to being the captain again uh, because he has to. And that that's what that scene with Burnham walking back to the captain's chair and sitting down and saying, "Let's finish this," reminded me of. It's just like classic Star Trek stuff from the the, the head of the show and. Yeah, the, the the balance of the duty and the the humanity needing to you know be worked through in these crisis situations. Uh, her name's Angela Martin. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, Abby, I I am dying to hear your pick because I don't think you're going Culver or Saru or Burnham. So I'm really curious now to see where you're going. All right. So my character, five words: big emotions cause big choices. Hashtag reasons matter. And I picked book and yes. the episode that I picked was choose to live because his arc this season, he just keeps doing what he feels is the next right thing. And you can't disrespect him for that. Even if you don't agree, his deep empathy and his concern for life shines through as his primary motivation, even through his grief. I mean, okay, let's look at his arc highlights here. We start off where he's got the mission with Michael and the butterfly people, and then we see his time on Quijan, and then that first conversation with Tarka at the bar after he's lost Quijan, he confronts yeah. his dad about love and his his doubts jerk, about Michael jerk. and Starfleet. The dad's a jerk. Sorry. Yeah, the dad <laughs> is a jerk. But he has a great costume. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he does, the costume is gorgeous. Like when you look look at his belts next time you watch it. It's gorgeous. Anyways, so then he he speaks to the assembly in favor of Tarka's plan right next to Michael. He goes rogue with Tarka. He bonds with Tarka over Emerald Chain stuff and loss. He comes around and tries to stop Tarka. He gets brought back to life by the Tensi, and then he immediately holds them accountable for cleaning up all the damage they left with the DMA and uses that empathic power he has. He is the one who really convinces them to not just move the DMA, but to clean it up and to fix the mistake and to do this justice. And then he goes and he and Grudge go off and do their community service type punishment or or fixing of, of his situation. This is an arc. And every step of the way you're, you're with him and you want him to be okay. And you want, him to be better. And you just kind of want to hug him and, and get him through this, but he's making these huge choices. And 
I think David Ajala deserves so much praise for what he did this year because you watch him go through all this in 13 episodes and it's amazing. And you're with him the whole way. Like I said, you don't ever not root for book in all of this, no matter what he's doing. And we, as the audience have a different view than he does, but it doesn't matter because you're still rooting for him even at the end. And I, I do hope he comes back, whether it's as a a season regular or as just a guest star, I, I want him back because I still root for book even after everything that went down this season. Always root for book. Perfect summary. What an arc. I do think he's going to be back as a recurring character. That's that's my hope. It's pretty clear he won't be a regular next year. It was a great, great two-season arc. What a mm-hmm. performance. What a character. And we even even the payoff of the Cleveland Booker, the name. Where yes. I love that. I thought that was really, really good. Really yeah. it was quick. It was poignant. It did, they didn't have to do a build-up, but you kind of knew you needed to hear that because they talked about it. Early in season three, I love book. I love David Ajala. I really wanted to pick him, but I went with the uh, Burnham V book to talk about it in my Dava round. Incredible. So good. This guy, just incredible. Bill, what's your take? Love book. Uh, echo everything that's already been said. Uh, I think the, the the arc of the third and fourth seasons is so, just as a show, I feel like, as the window into this new time and, uh, and, and, and a sort of key to unlocking Burnham's comfort with her humanity like you talked about abby before i think he's he's been a huge component in allowing burnham to open up to that side of herself um and embrace it uh, more than she did in her contemporary time i also feel like as a as a as a reflection on burnham who i chose book allows for burnham to kind of get into territory that only cisco really got to before as like as the lead of the show getting to see that more intimate you know uh, the, the more intimate domestic side of life from okay. yeah. the top of the the, the, the food chain. Uh, we never really see that with Kirk or Janeway. We, they, they, those characters yeah. don't allow themselves to get their Picard, Archer. But Cisco does with Cassidy Yates and with Jake. And yeah. with Burnham, we get to see that side of her as well through this relationship with Book, which is so much more, I think, grounded in you know, real life stuff than what we saw with like Ash Tyler at the beginning of the show. That's, that's a, a whole different animal and that does some good things. I think in the first season, especially, but this is a whole different thing and really allows the Burnham character to move forward in interesting ways. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a credit to David Ajala that book on his own has this arc that you've been talking about, Abby, which is so true uh, that we get to go on this journey with him and see him evolve and change over time. And, um, He's a very different person at the end of season four than he is when we first meet him, and that opens you part one. A great observation about the domestic side there in terms of the captain and the, the higher-ups. Really good. Okay, we always root for Book. I love that, Abby. Awesome pick. I almost want to change my pick because I'm going to have the first episode duplicate after uh, – 12 picks We're going to run out at some point. I know. No, no cause, oh, yeah, we would run out. At some point, it happens. Okay, so here we go. Actually, yeah, we're almost we're only one shy of going thirteen for thirteen. <laughs> so, and my pick's kind of it's kind of a cheat. It's kind of a duplicate anyway. I normal normally always go straight character. This time, I, I, I it's really more about the performance. Not quite a duplicate because I picked the character, but we've already talked about him. Five words and a hashtag. Character you love to hate. Hashtag. Did it feel good to lose control for a moment? And it is Sean Doyle. It is Ruan Tarka. 
I can't believe I'm picking him, honestly, as my favorite character in the season because I hate the guy, but I just <laughs> love the performance so much that I, I I had Annabelle Wallace and Zora. I could have picked her as a character, but I really wanted to give Annabelle Wallace that performer credit. Uh, we talked about Sean Doyle with your pick, so we can kind of move on. My episodes are the examples because that introduction, I laugh every time, and it still surprises me when he just all of a sudden stops and screams in Saru's face. It is such a moment. It just, oh, God, I love it so much. I love it so much. It's so real. It just tells you everything you need to know about this character, and Saru's reaction is equally as good. Great science was never accomplished with caution. I'm not sure that's actually true. Sir, if we can understand this tech, then we can figure out who built it, and maybe even how to stop it. Every piece of data is a clue. Commander, I do not believe that you or Mr. Tarka are considering the risks as seriously as you should. You realize it's a choice to be this tense, right? Mr. Tarka, I have extraordinary responsibilities on- ah! What was that? Do it back. Excuse me? Yell back at me. What are you afraid of? Do it! <laughs> well, that was something. That felt pretty good, right? Being out of control for a moment? I suppose it did. Look, you may not like me, but I love me. And I am not going to let this experiment blow me up, which means, by extension, that your ship will be fine, too. It's awesome. All right. Any final thoughts on Ruan Tarka and or Sean Doyle, Bill? Love him. I chose him for my creative. Uh, I love the Sean Doyle performance. Like I said, yeah. I think he embodies uh, a lot of what makes the season successful, giving us that textured um, antagonist, not a villain. Abby, any, any last comments? Well, that episode also has that that great um, scene in the lounge, like I said, where you have that first scene with Book and Tarka together, and yeah. and he is so vile yet so understandable in that yeah. scene, and that's before you know anything about his motivations, and then that's when you see that emerald chain scar, and what a brilliant introductory episode! I mean, you could not ask for a better complex villain because he's a villain to the universe, but he's not to himself. And that's the best kind of villain. Love it. Okay, let's get to our round one top episodes. Begin round one. Bill, what's your... I'm oh, sorry, Abby. No, Bill. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's early. Bill, what's your top episode of the year? Five words and a hashtag are making the ship a character. Hashtag literally. And it's about to connect. I think the two lane... A B plot. I don't even know if they're A and B. I think it's more of like a yeah, two two yeah. two A plots, uh, <laughs> kind of running next to each other. Uh, I think um, the the as sort of the the halfway point of the season, the the Burnham against Book sort of conflict is kind of really born here. Uh, getting to see the the council of 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 these not even Federation characters, but, you know, people from uh, representatives from across the galaxy coming to have their say on how to move forward with this uh, and, and getting the sort of classic sort of dueling Star Trek speeches from Burnham and book on the two possible, you know, ways to move forward and uh, ways to kind of attack the problem uh, and having both of those plans rooted in 
if not right or wrong, but credibility, at least coming from where the characters stand, you know, it makes sense that Burnham would, would stick with the, the sort of core Star Trek principles and, 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 and advocate for first contact and diplomacy where book being so scarred and damaged and, you know, traumatized by the loss of his planet would be in a more defensive place. Uh, and then to me the the real, you know, thing that really sings from this episode is the, the, the real, uh, step forward with establishing Zora as a active character in the show and confronting this sort of emergence of intelligence coming from the, the ship's computer. Uh, you know, there are moments obviously in stormy weather and even li- there's a little moment, I think at the end of the, the examples when Burnham's in the turbo lift and talking yes. to Zora and Zora mentions having an emotion and she's like, what? <laughs> and that, that right. little hint that this is coming, like the, we're going to, we're getting there. We got to deal with this. Um, getting delivered on in this episode, uh, the sort of echoes of the measure of a man, you know, adv- the, the sort of advocacy for, is this, is this a, like a, a being or not? Do we just scrap the computer and start over? And this is a problem, not a, not a, not a thing to embrace, uh, is, is such a core Star Trek principle, uh, a core Star Trek thing to explore. And it's done it, it, to me, it never feels like a conscious, rehash of oh this is going to be discovery doing the measure of a man it oh, feels never, fresh and different yeah, and, and and exciting and tackling its own thing correct yeah. and and that's a credit to it because it is charting a lot of that same terrain but it does it in such a unique way i love the way stamets is sort of presented here as as sort of the skeptic um and and it's kind of him that finds the solution and talks zora into uh the the the, the way forward uh, I think it's one of Anthony Rapp's best episodes of the show. Yes. Uh, I think it's at his best episode going back to maybe season one for me uh, in those early episodes when he's first established. I love him in context as for Kings and, um, and some of his other first season outings, but he's, he's tremendous here. Magic. Yeah, most definitely. Your breakdown here is so good. It's like, it's, I mean, the Sora part is, is why this episode really shines although having said that the <laughs> you have the classic trek conundrum in that speech with all the delegates which is just you know nobody's every angle makes sense right, right. They're having and what's more what's <laughs> well, what's more star trek than first contact or yeah or go shooting you know like yeah, what's, I mean, what's it's, the more <laughs> literally every line in the scenes and on starfleet hq is like oh yeah that makes sense Oh right. yeah, I get that guy. <laughs> oh yeah, that makes sense. Who, who do you side with? It's impossible. But the Zora stuff, that whole I love the analytical conversation. There's never any subterfuge from anybody in that whole scene with like six, five, six, seven characters, if you include yeah. if you include Zora. It's just amazing, amazing uh scenes when they just cut back and forth to it. It's just really smart. Everyone's just straightforward there's no idiot plot part of it it's just everyone kind of laying out their their truth including zora including kovic including stamets including gray and adira who are really good in that scene it's it's phenomenal it's an incredible one-two punch type episode i love it and i'm glad you mentioned that examples thing because right at the end of the examples we got that little bit of zora in the turbo lift with the emotion and i just i yeah i just remember thinking Oh, that's cool. I'm glad they did a little throwback to Zora because in my mind, it's like they're never going to really do a deep dive on Zora. I just never thought it was going to happen. And then not only did they do one episode, I said this before, they did a two-part Zora emergence back-to-back episodes. Just so good. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, Incredible pick. Abby, what's your take? 
Well, I'm so glad that you picked this one because this category was the hardest one for me because I wanted to pick like half the episodes this right. time around because uh-huh. they were so good. And this was the one that I was back and forthing with my pick with. And I went, no, I picked the episode already because of the costumes at the assembly. So I'm not going to pick it. But this episode is by far my favorite of the, the first half. And I love that they used it as kind of a mini cliffhanger and because that was a beautiful moment as well. It's a very human moment when Burnham realizes what's going on and that book is leaving and she just goes, shit. And then it hits her, her communicator and transports over there. I felt that that was the reaction we all would have had. And that was a great cliffhanger for them to leave it on. And I really like, we were talking about that, the assembly scene again, and you were talking about the back and forth. What else made that scene so good is that they were playing in the background. The music was the music that they've been using for the end credits this whole season. And that goes back to the previous season that was Hugh's log when he was talking about the PTSD. And that music has emotional impact for us, whether or not people consciously realize it, they've been hearing it. And it's the music they play when there's big emotional stuff going down. And so it heightened that whole scene to a different level. And I just remember hearing it and going, oh, that's the perfect music. And it's subtle, but it's noticeable enough that you you hear it and go, yes, this is this is the meat of this episode. And that back and forthing with that music in the background is just impeccable. All right, Abby. What is your top pick that if you had such trouble? What, what did you go with? I'm dying. All right. So it was really hard. And I I had, I, like I said, I had to really narrow it down. But my five words are communication with math and emotion, hashtag black licorice, and it's species 10C. Yeah. So sorry to be the repeater, but. No, we had to. <laughs> oh, my God. This is such a Star Trekky episode. It is yeah. about communicating with a species that's so incredibly different than ourselves. And it's literally an episode that is full of talking about talking, which you think would be so boring, but it is absolutely riveting to watch them do this. I mean, smart people doing smart things is so neat to watch and they play off each other so well. 178 plus This mathematical equation equals a curiosity hydrocarbon. Is the message about the weapon? 178 is the atomic number for isolinium. I believe this equation is an expression of volume for a convex lens-like shape. The DMA. Isolytic weapon plus DMA equals curiosity. It's a question. They put the weapon here to help us understand. They want to know why the weapon was put in the DMA. This implies they may be unaware of the damage the DMA has caused. Well, our response needs to make them understand. They need to make it stop. Okay. Let's figure out how to say that with math. Plus, it has Reno being awesome and having a backup plan that, of course, involves a snack because it's Reno, but she also gets some really deep emotional moments in there. And for her to finally be the one that opened Book's eyes was a really nice surprise because I did not expect it, especially knowing that Tignataro, who plays her, um, is immunocompromised and couldn't travel much for this season. So it was nice to see her get this little highlight at the end. 
I liked that the bridge crew got to help out with stuff. The special effects we've already talked about were amazing. This is the episode where we get the ready room screen. And the best part about it might be the fact that Grudge runs away from them screaming and then is ticked off later walking away, just giving them one of those feline looks of what are you doing, you crazy big people? <laughs> and it's an episode where we see that Dr. Harai isn't just a snarky snacker, but he's was chosen <laughs> for this mission for a reason. Yeah. And it has the phrase, let's figure out how to say that with math. I mean, that just made my little nerd heart sing. And the glorious cliffhanger message from Reno is classic Trek to oh, just good. cut it right there. And I remember the first time I watched him, like, don't do it, don't do it. They did it because you knew as soon as that message popped on, this was it. And it was a long week before the finale. And this is one that I know I'm going to go back to and rewatch a lot. And that's finally what made me pick this as my favorite, because I know that I already want to rewatch a lot. And that says something in an episode in a season with episodes that were all fantastic. Great. I think this is my second choice. First of all, we're not talking enough about Dr. Harai's snacks. I have not seen nearly <laughs> enough chatter on Twitter about that. It's, it's such a great choice. Every single scene. Every like, scene and people like, say Enterprise has too much food. This dude is always <laughs> Yeah, but it's like, it's not even like about the food. It's just this weird choice somebody made. Like, okay, this guy just doesn't give an F and he's going to be <laughs> snacking on some weird. It's just bizarre. I love this episode. It would have been my second choice. And uh, the, the, the Jet Reno stuff is so good. And I'm just going to say, I love you meant to highlight the, the cliffhanger summary she gives. People like, there's like film critics and erudite people who like to say exposition is bad in media. It's not bad. Exposition is awesome when it's done well. Correct. And that's that. I love that. Scene. I love that summary she gives. Like, and it's just so tight. It's perfect. It builds all this drama. And then it's like, nope, wait till next week. So good. Bill, yeah. what's your take? Uh, that would also be my second choice. It's my second favorite episode of the season. I, I Like I said uh, a few minutes ago, I watched the last three of the season last night to kind of uh, do a little rapid fire homework uh, to confirm some thoughts before we did this. I couldn't agree more with Abby's summation of smart people doing smart things. That's another Star Trek hallmark to me. If, yeah. When Star Trek's working at yes. its best, yeah. that's what yeah. that's what Star Trek does, and that's what Species 10C is full of. Uh, but I, I also... That's that's just one side of it. I think the the Tignataro stuff that monologue she has to book to kind of uh, d- deliver the goods on what's happening to book and uh, about about his about her wife. You know, books you're just trying to play me or whatever. And her comeback of doesn't mean I'm wrong. Uh, like yeah. that whole exchange is really well done, uh, and it's it's a it's a nice. Uh, change of pace for Tignataro, who who has a purpose on the show, and she delivers. Uh, you know her 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 stuff in a, in a in a comfortable way that I think we've gotten used to over the last three seasons, and this this felt like a real like whoa kind of dramatic moment for her, where, where she gets to do some really heavy lifting and uh, does a great job. Yeah, just a great use of Tig Nataro and yeah. Jet Reno in these sure. uh, final episodes. Okay, Bill, we were on the same page with Ruan Tarka and Sean Doyle, and as people might suspect, we're on the same page with our top episode. My five words and a hashtag. Time for a group hug. Hashtag know your moment. And it is but to connect. My favorite episode by far this season. I just love every minute of this episode. We don't need to rehash it. 
too much anymore with Zora, Tarka, the, the incredible one-two punch. That cliffhanger, though, oh, my God, <laughs> when she realizes, oh, Grudge is here, oh, no, book, and she transports to the uh, hangar bay, and we see Book's ship spore jump away after yeah. stealing the uh, next generation spore drive device. Incredible cliffhanger. So this episode just has it all. Um, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Any final comments on But to Connect from either one of you? I think it says something that all three of us were so admirable of this episode. I mean, that that's yeah. that's big props. It's a, it's a special one. I would just highlight uh, the director of the episodes, Lee Rose, who also directed yes. an Opal for Opal for is it Charon or Sharon? I still don't know. I still haven't nailed that down. It's an Opal for Charon. Charon. Okay. No, it's an Opal for Sharon. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> I know it's Opal. A couple years ago. Yeah, an Opal. Just call uh, it dialect. <laughs> yeah. It's it's another one of my favorite episodes of Discovery. And and because of the whether it's because of COVID and production limitations or whatever, like I think it was you, Jim, that mentioned it's or somebody said it's it's a lot of people standing in a room talking. And yeah. mm-hmm. to, to his credit uh, or her credit, it's a she. The the, the direction of that to, to make it as rewatchable and pop. It's it's like the easiest episode for me of this season to just pop on and almost like listen to like a great record it, yeah. because it's so dialogue driven. You don't even need to watch it. You can just listen to the dialogue and. And 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 hear the in- intricacies of the the different arguments on all sides of both issues, and it's 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 great stuff. It's great Star Trek. So true. I thought you were the one that said that. I don't know who said that. Okay, was it me? Maybe it was. I don't know. Secondary <laughs> systems. Here we go. Let's see what you can do with the secondary systems, Bill. Uh, the, the next closest thing for me probably would have been the. Um, and I wouldn't have said this a few weeks ago. I, I would have gone Saru for the character. I you know I I actually was. I kind of struggled a little bit with some of the early season stuff with Saru. I totally agree with everything you said, Abby, especially in episodes like Anomaly when he first gets back, reestablishing his relationship with with Burnham. But I think in in my mind, when I think back, like he he doesn't have as much to do, as much heavy lifting to do in some of those early episodes. But I think the the that last three uh, with some of the scenes with Tarina, who I also love, Tarina Ooh. would be another major close yes. call for me, almost. Could have gone there. Uh, the, the 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 guest cast this season is another way to kind of maybe put this. Like the uh, some of these these new characters kind of introduced this season, uh, and some brought back from last year. I guess uh, like Tarina was introduced last season, but President Rillick, uh, that, that entire ensemble of sort of new foils for Burnham and company, uh, and 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 pieces of the puzzle along the way, I think are all pretty successful new characters and do a lot of the heavy lifting this season. Uh, but Saru's relationship with Tarina, the way that that, you know, builds, I love the scene in Species 10 C. I think you mentioned it, Abby, when uh, Burnham gives her, gives Saru the, the cultural context. <laughs> uh, there, there are a lot of little touches in those last handful of episodes that I think really elevates Saru's arc this season and uh, through his relationship with Tarina and how he builds that with his relationship with Burnham, how she kind of counsels him through uh, some of those, some of those developments in true Star Trek fashion. Um, it's all about the friendship and, and Star Trek and uh, Saru's relationship with Burnham is uh, is a classic, like we've already talked about. So many good ones. Uh, Abby, rattle off yours. Sounds like you got a lot. All right, I'm gonna make this short. First of all, Stacey Abrams in yes, her cameo yes. so good. as so good. the president of United Earth deserves her own category with every gold star we can give it. And I'm just going to leave it at that because I could gush there for a long and, and time. Just, but I, mean, I squealed. Agreed. Squealed. But I'll add that it was more. She actually, they gave her a little bit of yeah. work to do. And she did a yeah. great job. She was she really, did. really good. It was impressive. 
Okay. Well, and I love that her as a person said, I'll do anything you want on Star Trek. Just try to avoid giving me too many spoilers. No spoilers. So I love that. <laughs> so good. So good. Really good. All right. So I have to highlight the score like I always do. This one's going to be on repeat in my earbuds for a long time because yep. it's gorgeous. Yep. I love Tilly's kind of mini arc. I miss Tilly deeply, but yeah. seeing her in the last episode and her scene with Vance, oh my goodness. I it's perfect for Tilly. It's perfect. Well and I done. believe that development and I believe them together. Like they're going to be a good duo going forward. I agree with the Saru and Tarina. Everything about that relationship just makes my heart overflow with joy because they are just so perfect. And I love that two of the more mature actors on the series are yeah. getting a romance that is beautiful. I wanted sure. to highlight um, Jonathan Frakes' directing in Stormy Weather because he made some really interesting directional choices in that camera angles and spins. And like he did that kind of 70s TV show swipe up of the supporting cast in kind of a montage. And yeah. just those last scenes, you can tell he is someone who is used to directing with visual effects and who is used to directing Star Trek in that episode because he did it in a way that loved that cast. Um, and then two really silly ones that I could not not say was I loved that there were multiple times throughout this season that Saru simplified the science for President Rillick. She would look at him and be like, Mr. Saru, <laughs> and he would just kind of distill it down. And again, there's plot exposition right there for the audience who might need it simplified, but it feels correct in universe. And that was beautiful. And the last one is and maybe this is just me being the uh, the female on this panel today, but there was the most gorgeous eyeshadow throughout this season. <laughs> Rillick had it, uh -huh. Nan had it, Awoshikan had it, Tilly had it, Detmer had it, even the Akali woman in the examples who gets her Lolobi orc back. It's this like reddish orange, gorgeous glitter sparkle. And every time a character is wearing it on screen, I noticed it and I want it and I covet it. So somebody should like put that out there, what it is, because I will buy it. It is stunning. And it made every single one of those actresses look like their eyes were bigger and brighter and it was noticeably gorgeous. Love that pick. I cannot speak to that, but that is fantastic. <laughs> uh, just to highlight Jefferson Russo. Yeah, his score. Incredible. Okay, my quick list. I'll just rattle off a few. Every time Tarka yelled, Boom! Or a scream. They're just so good. I need a detonation capable of creating a cascading subspace burst. Um, I gotta give Michelle Paradise just some mad genius props for that cat door for grudge. God, I love that so, so much. Stacey Abrams, of course. I'll give you my toughest cut. I love this character. She's so dynamic. She just jumps off the screen. I want to see everything about her. I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Fumzil Satole, but it is General Nadoye. I just yeah. love her so much. What a performance. What an interesting character. Uh, super cool. So that was one that I really wanted to highlight as well. Okay, man, we are going long. We covered a lot. I love it. Discovery season four. Oh, I know. I was going to bring up one more thing, and I'm sorry to do this, but because I've never been 
I, I'm I can't, I'm glad you brought it up because we haven't talked about it yet, and I'm still I'm still like hurt and trying to get over it. But the Tilly departure, I'm still I just the Tilly departure. It hit me like a ton of bricks, like nothing in yeah. Trek has hit me yeah. in a long time. And I I'm not being negative. I mean, but like because I know the actor has choices, and obviously she wanted to move on. No no issue, but. I was so disappointed. I've never been disappointed in Trek like that in a long time. I was like, I can't believe I don't get to see this character every week anymore. And it, uh, I was, I was bummed. I was really bummed. So especially after coming off of that episode where she did so well with the cadets and you see her just becoming who we knew she was going to become. Well, for me, it was just coming. It just, Everything they built for three seasons, and it was like, wait, yeah. it's over. That's it. it. I don't get to see this all the way through. I was, I'm still bummed about it. And, he and did, to, her, her return was really, really strong, though. With uh, with Vance, that was really good. Sorry, Bill, go. I was just gonna say the very opening of the finale, uh, having her be the first voice you hear. Yes, that is, was great. Is that landed on me like a ton of bricks? Like, oh my gosh, yeah. I miss her so much. And I, 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 I don't, I, you know. Before season four started, I, I, do you think it has anything to do with just like how surprising it was? You know, like when Terry Farrell was leaving Deep Space Nine, we knew yeah, that, right? Like, it, it been, no, like, you had time to process it and like expect not, it. Not to belabor this, but that's definitely part of it because they weren't, the production team wasn't open about it. And right. and exactly. so all of a sudden it was like, and then even afterwards it was like, wait, wait what are you're they saying doing she's coming us? back, but I, I guess she's not a regular, but is she, is this, is she coming back in season five? What's happening? They should have just really told us. Hey, Mary Wiseman's moving on. She's just going to be yeah. a, a a day play. You know, a, a, she's going to come back for special appearances now, which is clearly what's happening. And hopefully, we'll see more of her in season five. But they never announced that. They never yeah. said it, and it just felt like uh, it just made it that much worse because it was like, what's yeah. happening? What's Could happening? How does yeah. your you, this critical character, who by the way has filled a spot in Trek that's never been filled before by any character, just a riveting character, is just gone. It's just gone. It was, it was, it affected me. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Okay. Well, to end that on a positive note, though, as a teacher myself, I like the fact that they sent her off to yes. be yeah. a teacher and to inspire the next generation. Yeah, that sure. is kind of perfect. So if they had to do it for whatever reason, they did it well. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. And listen, her return was paid that off really well. Yes. Cause those scenes of Vance were so good. That's <sighs> one of the highlights of coming home. Uh, that they really, really uh, did a good job with. So, okay. And who knows? Anything could happen in season five. More Tilly, please. We love her. <laughs> All right. Incredible. Let's get into our regeneration cycle and recap our picks. Computer, activate regeneration cycle. Alcoves beta and gamma. All right. Quick recap. Bill, run, run it through. Uh, my production design element was the new uniforms, uh, and I picked uh, Kobayashi Maru as the introduction for them. Uh, my creative actor was uh, Sean Doyle uh, as Tarka, and I picked the Galactic Barrier to sort of highlight his performance uh, there. Uh, my Dabo round was the VR wall, uh, and I chose Rosetta uh, with the Tensi's former homeworld. Uh my number two with the character was Michael Burnham, Captain Burnham, uh, and I highlighted uh, Coming Home, the finale for for delivering on so many of the arcs uh, established from the beginning of the season and the beginning of the show uh, with her ascent to the captain's chair. And my favorite episode of the season was But to Connect. It, surprisingly easy choice for me, and I respect, uh, Abby, you said you had a tough call there. For me, But to Connect is so good and is going to be so high up on my overall Star Trek ranks. 
uh, of episodes that it was uh that was maybe my easiest choice of the bunch. Totally agree. Abby, how about your uh, your five? All right. My production element was the costuming for the entire season. And the episode I highlighted was But to Connect in the assembly scene. My creative was Wilson Cruz and his portrayal of Hugh Culber and his uh, bringing the fiction out to the real world. And the episode I highlighted was The Examples. My double round pick was Saru and Michael's friendship. And my episode that I highlighted was Anomaly. The character that I picked was Book, and the episode that I featured was Choose to Live. And my best favorite episode of the season, hard as it was, was Species 10C. Species 10C, just phenomenal. Okay, my five was Species 10C, the visual effects uh, and the creature design for my production design element. Round four was Annabelle Wallace getting the props as Zora from Stormy Weather. Number three was Book v. Burnham all season long from the episode All In. My top character was Ruan Tarka slash Sean Doyle, really, uh, from the examples. And my number one was uh, episode was But to Connect. All-time great track right there for sure. Okay, so the stats are cool because we talked about it. We... Man, we got we covered 11 out of 13 episodes. So the only two episodes that didn't get picked were All is Possible and Rubicon. Rubicon. <laughs> and, the, and the multiples were Species 10C got two picks. The examples got two picks. And, of course, But to Connect got three picks, one from each of us. Fantastic. Okay. Once again, we have been hit by a temporal distortion. So before we get apart, it's time to hear from you. The temporal distortions are fracturing space-time throughout the ship. Cause? Unknown. Oh, we know the cause, Mr. Dumont. It's all the amazing feedback we continue to receive here at Trek Ranks. And this week's Temporal Distortion is taking us all the way back to episode 123 in our top five spatial anomalies, which fits uh, the DMA that we've just been talking about with Discovery Season 4. I was going to read off a couple of lists, but this episode's going so long. I'm just going to read two picks from two great lists that came in. Uh, Adam Sanders at MetsFan1701, his uh, Spatial Anomaly, his number five pick was from TNG's Disaster, the Quantum Filament. I love this pick. <laughs> Picard is good with kids. Hashtag, you may now give birth. A phenomenal <laughs> pick. He had a great list, too. And then from our friend Carl at Listening to Film, his number two pick, I love this one as well, was Technobabble MacGuffin Causes Timeline Reboot. And it is the red matter black hole, the lightning storm in space from Star Trek 2009. <laughs> uh, nice. An awesome pick as well. So once again, those picks, more than enough to clear ourselves from this week's temporal distortion. So as always, I want to thank everyone for all your great responses to the Trek Ranks podcast. Please keep your lists coming to me at Trek Ranks on Twitter so we can retweet them. But we also want to hear from you. So put together your own list of top five discovery season four moments or a list from any of our past shows. Give us a call the Tricorder Transmissions at 609-512-5527, or you can just record it yourself, send us a DM. We can do it that way if that's easier. So hopefully we'll hear from you so you can be featured on the next episode of Trek Ranks and on the next episode of Trek Ranks. We're doing, this is a unique one, and we've already recorded this, so uh, it was fun. Top five Trek crushes crushes not crushers we already did that back in episode 108 
This is your secret crush. Maybe you're not so secret crush. Maybe a crush from when you were a kid. Maybe it's current. Who are your top five Trek crushes? Bill and Abby, if you had to choose one, let's do it. Bill, give me a Trek crush. Uh, I'm going to go with, this is a tough one. First one that comes to mind is Emily Banks as uh, Yeoman Barrows. From, oh, uh, man, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. <laughs> if we're talking going back to when I was a kid, I, I'll go there. Um, but, kind of, I forgot her name, Emily Banks. Yeah, Yeoman Banks. Barrows, I know well. I just Googled yes. it. I, I can't take credit for having oh, okay. recalled that. That's good. That's um, <laughs> <laughs> um, good. Yeah, I'll, I'll go there. That's uh, superb choice. Abby, <laughs> who who you got for a Trek crush off the top of your head? I have to go with LeVar Burton as Jordy LaForge because he doesn't get enough credit. One of the things I think TNG did wrong was that man never got any luck in love because he is number one, absolutely a stunning human being. Number two, a fabulous actor. And number three, I have had the great fortune of meeting him a few times and he is the most marvelous person. So between next gen and reading rainbow, who else was I going to crush on as a youth? (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. It's awesome. a that's a great pick. Okay, fun episode to come. All right, before we wrap it up, a huge thanks to Bill Mann and Abby Summer. Great to have you both on the show. I was wondering if you could show me how to access these subspace communications logs. And we're gonna do that right now, Mr. Neelix. So any final trek subspace communications, either one you want to relay before we depart, Bill. No, I would just say, you know, follow along on TrekFan4387. Uh I kind of Chart my rewatch. I'll put out <laughs> lots of rankings, lots of polls. Oh, the polls are the best. Yeah. Surveys asking for top five episodes of seasons, which we'll be doing for Discovery season four very shortly. And Trek Live over on the YouTube uh, part of the internet. And uh, hopefully in the coming weeks, back to uh, some weekly Star Trek discussions over there. I love it, Abby. Great having you back on. Yeah, come find me over on Twitter if you want to talk about Trek and life and Muppets. I'm at Abby M. Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R. And like I said before, I do the First Flight podcast on the Tricorder Transmissions Network where we watch Enterprise and talk it to death. So if you want to hear me babble on about Trek some more, come check us out at First Flight Pod on Twitter and all the socials. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, everyone, again, for engaging with us here on episode 132 of the Trek Ranks podcast. As always, I want to close by saying I'm looking forward to standing with you again here in this place where I belong. I almost screamed just like Tarka, but I I withheld. Okay. (laughs) That's what you do after you do all of your credits and everything. There's no clip this time. It's just you going, boom! Ah! (laughs) You know, or a scream. Just want to remind everyone again that the entire Trek Ranks catalog is available for you to download and listen to at trekranks.com and on your podcast player of choice. Our episodes never get carbon data, so check out the topics you've missed and maybe just want to listen to again over at trekranks.com. And a reminder to check out our friends Five Year Mission at fiveyearmission.net. They're writing a song for every episode of Star Trek, and you won't believe how great their music is. They also have a podcast at the Trek Geeks Network, so seek them out. You won't regret it.
allow yourself time to rest as you advise your patients. Well, I can't just stop. Not now, anyway. It's what I do. It's, it's who I am. It's, it's the way you escape the persistent guilt of being alive. This is a uniquely challenging time, yes. But if you don't find fulfillment in something other than work, then you will fail those in the chair in front of you. I have a two o'clock. Goodbye.